Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Cool. Praise God. It's a wonderful opportunity for us to come together again. I know that there were many spurious rumors going around that there was actually no church today. And I think I was probably to blame for that because people were quoting me. <laughs> Say there's no church today. So pastors they were looking at me like, well, you're trying to sabotage the fellowship, bro. What's going on? But um thank the Lord that um the message got out to most, if not all. And um we're here to fellowship around the throne of God's grace again. Amen. So Christmas has come and gone. Christmas 09. Someone said amen. All the, all the mums that were laboring in the kitchen are saying amen. It's gone. And um, I wonder what your Christmas was like. Was Santa Claus good to you this year? <laughs> you look looking at me like, wow, such blasphemy from the pulpit. Santa Claus, it's okay, we can have a laugh, you know, it's all right. Just relax, relax. Did you, no, we can't. Did you get what your heart desired? Have you still got unopened presents? Because you kind of think you know what they are and you can't be bothered to open them. After all of the, um, the hype and so on that surrounds Christmas, looking back on it, what, what remains? What, what are you left with? Great presents that you're able to enjoy throughout the year. Um, much gratitude that it's over and uh, the arduous nature of the day is gone. So all of the cooking and preparing and uh, shopping and all of that kind of stuff's behind you. Um, are you kind of wishing that you, you, today was Christmas all over again? I saw someone's Facebook message. Why isn't it Christmas every day? <laughs> Different feelings for different peoples, no doubt. And yet, life goes on, right? And yet we approach another year. Um, we're able to reflect on the year behind us. We're kind of in that no man's land period. And when we do reflect, when we reflect on the day of Christmas, when we reflect on the giving of gifts and so on, do we feel satisfied within our souls. Christmas, all about the birth of Christ. And um, the guys from Cross Movement put out an album a couple of years ago, which we had the privilege to feature on, called Gift Rap. And there was one song on there which was called something like Happy Birthday or It's Your Birthday by The Tonic. And basically you had this birthday party portrayed and I, it would be great for you to listen to the song and I don't want to kind of take the, you know, like talking out a film. You don't want somebody to tell you the end of the story before you watch the film, right? But for those of you who may never get to listen to it, it's basically the story of a party and um, they're having a party for an individual who has kind of been forgotten about and everybody's enjoying the celebration. And it's actually Jesus' birthday party and he's kind of left in the corner and no one really kind of cares. And um, Christmas can so easily get like that. Christmas so often gets like that. When even those of us who, you know, we know it's a celebration of Jesus' birth. We can kind of sometimes even just forget the person of Christ. Even in the way that we deal with one another. Even in the way that we respond to the gifts that we got or we didn't get. We can forget the person of Christ. And so I just wanted to take some time, just in a kind of devotional sense today, to really consider Jesus. I so blessed. Pastor Rob said earlier during the announcements, Jesus didn't stay a baby. And so often we can focus on the birth, 
Christmas, we can focus on the death and resurrection at Easter and maybe kind of lose sight of the, the person in between. And when we do give some consideration to Jesus, the person Jesus, truly we are um, overwhelmed with his genius. Jesus is amazing. He's amazing. And um, I'm hoping that we'll be able to see a glimpse of that today as we consider his word. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be starting there. Matthew chapter 11. And um, whilst turning, put your finger in John chapter 4. We're going to launch from Matthew chapter 11 into John chapter 4. Dear Lord God, we thank you for this time together in your presence. As Tim sung earlier, Lord, we love your presence. We love you. And um, we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful privilege and opportunity we have, Lord, to learn of you, to sit at your feet, to consider you, to meditate on you, to be changed by you. And um, Lord, we pray that you'd bless our time in your word. Lord, I pray that you would um, consume me and my weaknesses, that you, Lord, would speak through me. And that, Lord, you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak to hearts, encouraging and enlightening and challenging and comforting us, Lord, as we consider you. Thank you, Lord. Because you have, you have beckoned us, you have invited us, Lord, to sit with you. How wonderful you really are. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew eleven twenty-five <clears throat> to 30. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus Christ said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. There has seldom been a more inviting statement made among men ever if ever there has been a more inviting statement now in your days as a raver you may have delighted in getting party invitations even inviting yourselves to parties when you weren't invited and lo and behold if you were put on the guest list hey Able to bypass the queue, go straight to the front, names on the guest list. And the, the feeling of pride, the feeling of value, the enjoyment of being able to exploit such invitations could never be compared to us exploiting this invitation that Jesus has given to us. 
And we see from the text that this invitation is a gift. This invitation is a gift. You see, no one knows the father except the son. And no one knows the son except the father. And the one to whom the son wills to reveal him. So we could never know the God of Christmas except the son had will to reveal him to us. Except the son had purpose to make him known to us. Kind of reminds us of that saying, we can't see the wood for the trees. You know, when you're looking for something, looking for something, looking for something, can't find it you're looking hard earnestly you're looking you're looking you're looking and it's right in front of you and you can't see it for seeing it the evidence for God is all around us and yet we could never know that God apart from he revealed himself to us through his son and so we're privileged we're blessed and in the invitation Jesus says in verse 29 Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. How that cushions the invitation. Jesus here could be speaking as a tyrant, a dictator, demanding that we obey him. That we submit ourselves. That we do everything in our power and beyond it to follow after him and be like him. And yet we see such a loving, kind-hearted appeal. Learn from me. Not because I'm going to make you rich. Not because I'm going to make you famous. I'm not because I'm going to make you powerful. Not because I've got all the links in the world and I can connect you with whoever you need to be connected with. But no, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And so we see this is the focal point of our learning. Why are we to learn from him? Because he is gentle and lowly in heart. And so let's turn to John chapter 4 and see this in action and see what it is we might learn from our Savior. As we appreciate this gift that we've received. John chapter 4, from verse 1. Um, I'm going to read it through and then we'll revisit just to get a sense of perspective. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy some food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, 
give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go. Call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you, are, whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. In this we see a few aspects of the nature of Christ. A few aspects to the person of Christ which ultimately brings us to a place where like Jesus' encouragement to the Samaritan woman, it leaves us, can only leave us in a state of worship and adoration. It can only leave us in a place of wonder and awe at the God who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus. Because yes, Jesus was given as a child, born in a manger, born to a virgin. He was celebrated by angels and shepherds. And yet he went, to, he went on to live a life that reveals to us who God is and what he's like. And when we focus momentarily on the, the bit in between the cradle and the grave, we're given a, a revelation of God that enlightens our soul. And so let's consider a few things. The mystery revealed in Jesus. The magnanimous grace You know I had to look that one up to spell it. The magnanimous grace, the meekness, the might and the mercy and yet finally the majesty of Jesus. So first the mystery. Verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. So Jesus has been traveling some distance. It's midday, sixth hour, and sun's high in the sky, it's hot, and he's weary. And in his weariness, he sits to rest. And he rests at a well, but unable to drink from its water. But he wanted a drink. And it wasn't just that he was kind of trying to make conversation with the Samaritan woman that he asked her for a drink. He wanted a drink. And we see the mystery in this. We see Jesus, 100% God, in need. The same Jesus who, a couple of chapters before, turned water into wine, who a few chapters later will feed the thousands, we see him here in need. He could have just worked a miracle. He could have just spoke to the water and it would have risen up into his mouth like a fountain. (laughs) But no. As we see on other occasions in the Gospels, Jesus permitted himself to be served. To be served by those who he created. And in this we see Uh, A validation of the fact that Jesus is 100% God and yet 100% man. And it's a mystery. And there are many who have driven themselves crazy, literally, Maudsley, Springfield, all of the different lunatic asylums you can think of, trying to work this out. This mysterious union of God in man. And yet he was weary and he was thirsty. First Timothy 3.16 says this. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Truly, I mean you had a great mind like the Apostle Paul. Great is this mystery that God was manifest in the flesh. And in this we are encouraged and we're inspired. Yes, God was manifest in the flesh. And therefore we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. We're encouraged. Jesus can relate to our weaknesses. And in fact, he was in all points tempted as we are. And yet without sin. The incarnation, God making himself accessible to us so that we can relate to him. Otherwise, we'd be quite at liberty to say, well, you don't understand me, God. You don't understand what I've got to deal with. You don't understand what I've got to go through. You've never had to go through what I go through. We could say that if it weren't for the fact that God became a man. And he does understand what we go through. And he has had to face what we have to face. And yet without sin. So we know that Jesus, we could say Jesus is on a level. He understands. And we can be inspired because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit who empowered Jesus to walk in all righteousness dwells in us, lives in us. So not only does he understand, but... Truly, he equips. And he uses the understanding to empower us in our walk. And so Jesus was there, weary and thirsty. 
What a mystery. Now, I've always found it interesting that there in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that Jesus was in all points tempted as we are. And yet without sin. And, you know, we can see those occasions in scripture where we may see that Jesus was tempted to be angry and malicious, especially towards the scribes and Pharisees as they were hating on him, always contesting him, wanting to kill him. We could see how Jesus might have even been tempted to lie, to get himself out of a tight situation. So he stands before Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Psh, well, if I, if I tell him the truth, I'm finished. Let me just mask it. Let me just um, style it out. No. Straightforward answer to Pilate. It is as you say. That's treason. In the eyes of the Romans. To claim any other king apart from Caesar. Multitudes of other types of temptations that Jesus faced. One of the things that is not often commented on is the potential sexual temptation that Jesus. At various points in his life and ministry may have faced. We think about the lady, was it Mary, who came and washed his feet with her tears and dried his feet with her hair. Now, obviously, he was barefooted. And that really could have been quite a challenging moment because that's quite a sensual act. It's not something that you'll find commentators writing up in their commentaries very much. It's almost as if people kind of really, um, they think that maybe that was just one temptation that Jesus didn't face. I know there was a film some years back, was it The Last Temptation, where they tried to portray some scandalous, completely unbiblical and erroneous portrayals of temptation. We can see that from scripture and yet we do see that Jesus was in all points tempted. In all points. And the Bible don't waste words. When it says all points, it means all points. Not 90%, 95%, 99%. In all points tempted. Now, I say that to say that this may have have been been one of those occasions where there was potential for sexual temptation we read of this woman who has had five husbands plus one who wasn't her husband and so this lady was very adept at getting guys there's no doubt about that We don't know much about her other than what's stated, so we dare not speculate. But this could have been quite a compromising encounter. It could have been quite a challenging encounter. And yet Jesus was without sin. Truly that should encourage us and inspire us. Something to meditate on when we are ourselves tempted to click on that pop-up or to watch that after-hours movie or flirt with that guy or girl. 
we should be encouraged. Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And make a resolve to be strong in the grace of God. Amen. We see Jesus' magnanimous grace. Magnanimous, not a word we hear often used. Meaning to be noble-minded. To be disinterested in one's own affairs. And concerned for the affairs of others. I remember there was a time when um, I ran, I done, um, I worked in a careers field. And I ran what was called an executive job club. And I remember... um, a gentleman there, a really nice guy. Um, he was an executive out of work and we were just talking about just some of the challenges that we were face, he was facing and, and how he would, you know, try and approach them and resolve them. And he said something that really kind of, one, introduced me to this word. I had to go and look it up after he spoke to me. But also kind of left me considering just the depth of his statement. He said, you know, one of the things about being out of work especially having worked at the levels that I've worked, is losing the power to be magnanimous toward others. Losing the ability to act of a noble mind and be generous towards others, just out of interest in them and for no other reason. And he said that he found that one of the hardest things to deal with. Not just going down the bar and buying a round of drinks and kind of showing that you got it. Being able to give someone a 20 pound or, but deeper than that, more meaningful than that. And here we see verse 9 and 10. Jesus demonstrating that undeserved favor, which the woman recognized. She's a Samaritan. She said to him, how is it that you being a Jew, Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. They don't share utensils. And yet Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. You see, although the Jews were culturally biased, although they were basically racist, and her observation was true, the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. As far as the Jews were concerned, The Samaritans were quote-unquote mixed race. They were Jews who had been polluted by other nations and other races through intermarriage. And so they'd lost their clarity and purity of the bloodline. And even though they were distant cousins... As far as the Jews were concerned, they were nothing. As was their attitude to all Gentiles. And yet, in light of this, and in light of her being a woman, which in that culture again was such that a woman was treated as a second class citizen. We see that Jesus extends to her an offer more than she deserved. An offer more than she deserved. And is not, isn't this the case with us? That Jesus offers us so much more than we deserve. Jesus speaks about the gift of God and there are those that debate that the gift of God is the Holy Spirit. That the gift of God is Jesus himself. That the gift of God is actually salvation. Whichever way you look at it, it's still so much more than we deserve. And if we see the gift of God as being Jesus, 
we see that in him, we have so much more. And one of the things I consider as we kind of look at this, for us as Christians who profess Christ and have come into a relationship with God, is that we can often lose sight of the fact that, yes, we are saved, and we see the wonder of the cross, and we see the forgiveness of our sins. But then what does relationship with God look like? For so many of us, we just kind of stand on the spot marking time, waiting for Jesus to come again and taking whatever comes at us. But eternal life isn't something that starts when we die. It's something that is a reality for us now. It's not just a a life of duration without end. It's a life of quality. It's a quality of life, that Zoe life, that abundant life, that can only be found in Christ. And this is what we've been called to, and this is what Jesus is laying on a plate here. There's more to life than this. There's more to life than the nine to five. There's more to life than the the run of the mill mundane motions that we go through from day to day to day. Jesus has promised more to life. I truly sit down and I look at my life and for all of its challenges, I am so overwhelmingly grateful for the goodness of God in my life. And the Lord has provided my life with things that money can't buy. With things that I couldn't put on my Christmas list. You know that there are people who have given more than money trying to obtain peace. There are people who have lost their very lives trying to gain peace without finding it. True joy that is not conditional, that's not just based on good things happening. So maybe you got a Christmas gift that really you weren't feeling. You were so excited to to peel back the paper. And you had to find a way to kind of mask your disappointment. Wishing that it had been something else. And yet we never have that experience in Christ. Because he does all things well. And he offers us so much more than we deserve. Verses 11 to 15, we see the meekness of Christ. The woman points out the fact that you're going to offer me living water, you've got nothing to draw water with. And she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Now think about who she's talking to. Are you greater than our father Jacob? (laughs) If there was ever an opportunity for Jesus to just, (laughs) do you know who I am? (laughs) Do you know me though? This is the same Lord who spoke the universe into being. This is the same Lord who Jacob wrestled with. (laughs) I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Jacob was begging a blessing from him, the angel of the Lord. As manifested in the Old Testament. And yet, Jesus doesn't even answer the question. He doesn't even answer the question. Verse 13. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. 
So he continues to tease her interest, to lead her from the natural to the spiritual. Dropping little nuggets, dropping the bait. Is she really going to follow through on this? Does she, does she sincerely care about what I'm saying? And yet, Jesus doesn't drop his disguise at this point. We see the might of his wisdom. Jesus says to her, Go call your husband and come here. Hmm. She's asked for this water and he says, all right, look, go and get your husband and come. Jesus could have found a multitude of other direct ways to show her that there was a problem. She ain't ready to receive the water, but she can't see that. And yet Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, just puts a question to her. Knowing the answer, go and get your husband and come. And here we see the true depth of this woman's sincerity. Here we see her transparency. Here we see confession. Because what Jesus has done in his wisdom, he's highlighted her sin. This is what stands between her and receiving from God. And yet she turns and says, I have no husband. And Jesus says to her, ah, true talk, you have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one who you have now is not your husband. Now a lot of people kind of imagine the tone that Jesus may have said this in. Yeah. Hmm. You're right. You got no husband. Because you've had five husbands. And let me tell you something. On top of that, the husband you got now ain't even your husband. Is that the way that he said it? Did he draw for the spiritual belt? He had every right to. I mean, he was God, right? And she was living in sin against him, against his plan and purpose. And yet, no, the mercy of his love. He could have slew her for her sin. And yet, full of kindness, he responds to her. You have had five husbands. She stands there and looks and recognizes. Truly, you're a prophet. And in that moment, her focus switches. Jesus has so effectively brought her to that place of dealing with the real issues of life. And oh, how the Lord works so wonderfully in our lives. So often we can get caught up and yet find ourselves caught out, caught slipping because we don't give attention to the real issues of life. And Jesus needs to call our attention back to these things. Most often it's the simple things. Just spending time in prayer. Spending time in the word. Sharing his message of salvation with others. And yet when he confronts us, he doesn't do so with a big stick. Although having said that, he makes the truth known to us. And we sense his mercy. And we sense his love. And as it says in Romans, it is the goodness of God... That leads us to repentance. 
And maybe you've been in that place where you've just been out there. You've not been walking in the will of the Lord. And you have that sense of the Lord saying to you, go get your husband, metaphorically speaking. Look about your issue. Look about your issue. And he's not jumping down on you with both heels hard. He hasn't got the baseball bat out. But he's motivating you and encouraging you in his kindness to deal with the issue. Maybe there's someone you haven't spoken to for years and you've held them up in your heart. And as long as you don't have to speak to them and they don't have to speak to you, it's it's not a thing, right? And yet, your conscience is troubled. And any time their name is mentioned, you can barely think about them. And any time you come across their name on your phone, your conscience is pricked. And you see their name on the email circular, and you don't have no peace. And the Lord is saying, go and get your husband. You've got to deal with this issue. Because you know what? It's a hindrance. It's a hindrance to you receiving what God has for you. And you need to deal with it. And God is merciful. And he's full of kindness. And he will prompt us by his spirit. With tender conviction. Causing us to sit up and take note. And the thing we ought to do is sit up and take note. And respond to that prompting and respond to that conviction lest the Lord have to take things further. Lest we become hard-hearted. You see, Jesus reserved his harshest words for the hard-hearted hypocrites who pretended there was nothing wrong. Who pretended they were cool. And so Jesus tenderly reaches out to this lady. And he brings her in. She starts talking about where and how, externals. And Jesus is like, you know what? Don't watch this mountain and Jerusalem. It's not about any of that. But the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. He's saying, look, sis, don't worry. You're not going to be alienated because of where you come from or because of where you're at. It's where you're going that matters. Yeah, you come from Samaria and your fathers have got their own thing going on. Don't watch that. Yeah, you're here on this mountain and you've heard about Jerusalem. Don't watch that. You know what? Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Present him your heart on his terms and not your own. And Jesus clarified that because he said, look, you guys don't even know what you worship. Salvation is of the Jews. So he showed in his mercy and in his kindness, he didn't compromise the truth. He showed her, look, yeah, there is a way that things work. And the foundation is of the Jews, but you know what? That doesn't alienate you. That doesn't separate you from this opportunity. And despite her lack of worthiness, he extended this opportunity to her. Verse 25, the woman responds, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And at this point, Jesus is able to respond freely. Why? Because he's proven exactly what he's about to say. I who speak to you am he. And you might want to highlight that verse, underline those words, because that is a direct declaration by Jesus Christ of his messianic title and divinity. 
Jesus openly confesses that he is the Messiah. And look at the occasion that he chooses to do that. There weren't no big crowds. No fanfare. There weren't no host of disciples there to be in awe. Unlike the Mount Transfiguration. He chooses to make known this revelation to a lady who would have been considered a harlot. A lady who was such a scarlet woman, she had to draw water at midday. Nobody went to draw water at midday. Too hot, faint out there. In fact, it's quoted in scripture that it's in the evenings that women went to draw water. And so she was obviously outside of the community. Whether that's because of her reputation, because of her past, probably all of the above. And yet Jesus chooses to make such a revelation known to this Samaritan woman. Such meekness and yet such majesty. And as we look at this scenario, we see the Jesus who we love. We see how this is the Jesus who we relate to. This is the Jesus who affects our lives. We see that this Jesus is truly a genius. Pastor Robert asked earlier, ain't it hard to share the gospel with your family? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have this kind of genius? To be able to take someone from the natural to the spiritual and pinpoint their issue and their need. Such wisdom. This is how Jesus is with us. How grateful we are. Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And likewise, we are to be like him. And the point and purpose of us drawing near to Jesus and learning of him is that we would be like him. And oh how we fall short, oh how I fall short. And yet, we are offered opportunity beyond that which we deserve. You see, all the presents in the world don't make us better. <laughs> they don't make us better people. All of the gadgets, labor-saving devices. We got a new oven this Christmas. It took about half an hour to work out how to use it. And yet, they don't make us better people. One brother said in his lyric, flame it was, he said, money don't make you better. <laughs> but more of Jesus does. And so let us avail ourselves of relationship with God, this gift that we have in Christ. As we look to our year ahead, let us draw near to Christ. Let's seek to be more like him. You know, there are certain times and certain people that really cause me to just feel, to feel like I just want to be like Jesus. I don't know if you ever find that. There are certain people that I talk to when just having a conversation with them makes me want to be like Jesus. Just more like him. And, and in fact, you know, I can think of three or four people off the top of my head and funny enough, they're all ladies. Not to say that there's anything wrong with that or exceptional, but they are all ladies. And it's not that they quote scriptures in a profound way. Um, it's not that they, you know, um, are just quoting like supernatural words of knowledge and that kind of thing. 
but it's just their person, their godly character that so affects my life. Whenever I'm around them, whenever I talk to them, I just feel so humbled and smitten in heart and I just want to be like Jesus. And that's an amazing thing. It's an encouraging thing. And may it be that we would all have that testimony. That our lives are so saturated with Christ that others would truly be able to taste and see that God is good. As they encounter us in the way that the Samaritan woman encountered Jesus at the well. Let's pray. I'm going to ask Tim if we're done. And the guys. Thank you, Corkway. Lord, just looking at you throughout the pages of Scripture, we are brought face to face with a, a matchless Savior. You can't be matched, you can't be topped. Truly, you can't be beaten. There's nothing, Lord, that is in this world that really compares to you. If only we knew the gift of God and who it is that speaks to us. Truly, we would ask for nothing else. We would want for nothing else but you. And Lord, you know, on a, on a, on, on a certain level, this is our desire. Because you have opened our eyes and you have brought us to a place where you have revealed to us that you are our only hope. That you are the truth. You are the way. You are the life. That you are the, the epitome. You are the tip-top example of all that is to be found in those things. And yet, Lord, our desire and our prayer is, Lord, that we would go deeper, that we would delve deeper. That, Lord, we would peel off the layers of this gift and truly discover more of you and the wonder of who you are. Lord, truly may we be worshippers. Not people who just sing songs, but whose hearts sing constantly, daily in adoration of you. Whose lives sing praise, Lord, in the way that we live, in the way that we reflect your glory. Thank you, Lord, for drawing us near. And I pray, Lord, right now for anyone who has yet to Go find their husband who has yet to deal with the issue of sin in their life. Who has yet to confess and repent of their sin. And look to you for forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would grant them the courage and the wisdom to hear your tender voice. In kindness calling to them. You can have everlasting life. Truly you can have water springing up like fountains of life within you. Refreshing and satisfying and fulfilling you. In a way that nothing or no one else can. If you would only depart from your sin. Turn to the Lord God in repentance. Receive forgiveness and newness of life. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust in him alone. But only he can save you and fulfill your life. Amen.